Today on Ag News Daily. The computers can automatically monitor that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. When things like that pop up, the computer would see it and then actually alert a caregiver. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this sunny Tuesday afternoon, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Pretty good, Mike. It is nice outside again today. It is second day in a row. It's great news. I've seen, I'm seeing a lot of combines mm-hmm. running. As I look off in the distance, there is a ton of dust in the air as folks are getting after soybeans. Mm-hmm. About time. It is. You know, yesterday we had the crop progress report come out and nationwide we are still 16 points behind the five year average. We are only 53% done with soybeans as of Sunday afternoon. Mm. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. And, uh, Iowa, we're only 37% harvested. Ordinarily, we're at 71% wow. by this time of year. So, yeah, Jeez. we are way behind. But these last two days, I'm sure, are are giving folks uh, a chance to catch up a little bit. Yeah, hopefully. So, Delaney, what's going on in your world? I'm studying for my finals to be done with my master's degree. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll be wonderful. Yeah. And what what's your master's in, Ag Communications? Yep, that's right. Excellent. So you will be... Probably a fantastic communicator as soon as you get your degree, right? No, but I already am a fantastic communicator. Then why are you getting another degree? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Fair enough. Well, what news do you have for us today? I'm going to kick it off with some African swine fever news today, Mike. We've got another report of an outbreak coming this time for the first time from the country's south, which is a major pork-consuming region. So far, according to the article I'm reading on Reuters, we've seen 11 provinces that have culled an estimated 200,000 pigs. In China, this is. In China. Yeah. And so how? what do we know about this latest outbreak? Is it a big farm or a little farm? It looks like it's in a couple of just little farms. But again, the, uh, the report says there's not many provinces left in China that haven't had an outbreak or a case reported yet, and it's only a matter of time. Hmm. Will continue to spread. Yes. And Interesting. I um, also wanted to add, I, I was reading this today, and I thought it was a little bit almost bizarre, but um, I think maybe you talked about yesterday how they've been beefing up security, or maybe it was the other day, in uh, mm-hmm. airports and whatnot. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw this, but now they've got the USDA has, they said, quote, they're touting their last line of defense against the malady, beagles. Oh, pork sniffing dogs. Yes. Very interesting. Good call. On a Monday, they apparently, the beagle dogs caught, it's a whole head, like a whole pork head that somebody had tried to sneak in. Okay. Was it cooked? It looks cooked. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, I, I just don't understand this meat smuggling like through the airports. I get it if you're putting it on a boat and you're smuggling it, you know, that way in a frozen cooler. But if you're putting it in a carry-on, eventually folks are going to notice that smell. Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand it either, but it's an interesting picture. It looks like it's wrapped in like tin foil and then a plastic sack. Hmm. Well, you know, Delaney, I tell you what, you saw Mr. Wesley, my... uh my dog yesterday, and yeah. he would be a great pork sniffing dog if the uh, <laughs> if TSA or USDA is looking for a, a spotter here in Des Moines, he'd be free. We could uh, we could work out an agreement. 
Um, I think if they get all the way to the to the Des Moines airport, they're probably going to get it into the country, Mike. Well, yeah, but we're the last line of defense. We've got a ton of pigs <laughs> oh, here in Iowa. We got to be true. extra careful. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. I've got some news here coming out of California, and it's about the Monsanto slash Bayer verdict against them by the groundskeeper, who uh, was awarded two hundred eighty nine million dollars by uh, saying that Roundup caused his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. A couple of weeks ago, the judge had said, had hinted at the possibility that maybe there was just going to be a whole new trial. Uh, perhaps the the plaintiff, the the groundskeeper guy, hadn't presented all of the evidence, hadn't proved his case. Well, yesterday, the judge changed her mind, did a complete 180, and upheld the initial verdict mm. against Bayer, basically saying, yeah, it looks like Roundup caused this man's cancer. He presented enough evidence to that case. She did knock the damages down to $39 million from 250 if the lawyers for the groundskeeper, Dwayne Johnson, agree to it. And they haven't said they will or not yet. But basically, this is, this is a big turnaround, and it drove Bayer shares down 8% in early trading today. Hmm. So they can still file for an appeal, though, I'm guessing, right? Or they will? Yes, they will file for an appeal. So this was the California Superior Court. Now they're going to appeal it to the California Court of Appeals and see what happens there. But, I mean, this is one heck of a precedent, having the jury find it. And then what was interesting was the jury, after the judge issued her, you know, maybe they didn't present enough evidence. Five of the jurors wrote letters to the judge basically begging her to uphold their decision, which was really surprising to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could either. Yeah. So, anyway, there we've got uh, we've got Bear down eight percent. I boy, you know they bought Monsanto for sixty three billion earlier this year. I wonder if they're rethinking that now. Too late now. Yeah, it is. It is. But there's another eight thousand similar lawsuits waiting mm-hmm. in the wings here yep. in the U.S. And now they have precedent. Mm-hmm. For now, at least, unless something gets overturned. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what other news do you have for us, Delaney? Well, I've got some good news here on the trade front, Mike. We are uh, moving forward with negotiations with the Philippines. It was announced just today that the Philippines has agreed to basically come to the table with the U.S. and begin free trade agreement talks. And they're also a big consumer of pork, so that's exciting to see us potentially getting in some uh, pork or more pork into the Philippines. At the current moment in time, the average meat levy is about 20.5% on U.S. meat with the highest rate, and it doesn't say what product it's on, at 45%. So hopefully seeing some of those go away at some point once um, that's all said and done. But they, we, so let's see, I think last year we sold about $100 million worth of pork to the Philippines. And that'll increase substantially, according to the NPPC, or National Pork Producers Council, if we enter into a free trade agreement. Absolutely. Drop the price on U.S. pork in the Philippines by 20 to 40 Mm percent. That should move a lot more of it. Hopefully so, you'd think. Well, fingers crossed. Speaking of moving a lot more of it, American farmers, particularly corn growers, are hoping to move a lot more ethanol this next summer, with E15 being sold year-round. Well... 
Uh, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa does a conference call every week with uh, uh, reporters. And in that conference call, he said the president is going to have to kind of kick it into gear. Basically, he said the EPA ought to speed it up. Otherwise, it is going to look like the president wasn't serious in his announcement. We don't need a lot of bureaucratic red tape with something that has been discussed in Washington for four to five years and discussed specifically with EPA and face to face with the president for about a year. So he's really pushing, it sounds like, both EPA and President Trump to keep the heat on and get E15, that RVP waiver, in place so we can get this product moved all year round. Well, speaking of other things going on in Washington, Mike, today and tomorrow begins the beginning of a two-day event to discuss uh, the potential hazards, oversight conditions, and labeling, and also who should get jurisdiction over cell cultured meat or meatless meat as we like to refer to it. So that starts off with U.S. Secretary of Ag Sonny Perdue and also the FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. They'll both offer their insight today. And I think people are speculating that we will see some potentially large frameworks or large ideas coming out of this two-day event. Hmm. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on it because Mm -hmm. that could have long-term ramifications in the meat industry. Yes, it could. Or, or it might not. It could just be a right. flash in the pan, something that pops up and nobody it ever ends up really liking and it right. disappears. Or they could maybe get it to where they can't make it cheap enough for consumers to, you know, consider it a viable option, you know. Right, right. Who knows? There's a lot ahead of us there, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. Well, another thing we need to keep an eye on, of course, is the health of the farm economy. And Creighton University does that once a month with their Rural Main Street Index, and it climbed above growth neutral, signifying that bankers or bank CEOs are beginning to feel a little bit more confident. Uh, basically, it is up to 54.3, with 50% being neutral. And they're saying the last over the last several months, the Rural Main Street economy is expanding outside of agriculture. So it's manufacturing, it's lending and service. It's not necessarily ag that is driving this growth. Um, he does say the negative impacts of tariffs and low ag prices continue to weaken the farm sector. And they also do expect farmland prices to continue to fall, but mm-hmm. very slowly. Well, I think that's kind of in line with what the, who was it, ERS, I believe, said about mm-hmm. net farm income. So, yeah. Yep. Yep, down uh, down a huge amount, and of mm-hmm. course that's going to make people a little less comfortable writing those big checks for farm ground. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that kind of ties into my last piece of news for today, Mike. We've got the USDA to approve a new crop insurance provider for, I believe, the 2019 crop season. There's currently, I didn't realize this, there's only 15 approved crop insurance providers as of this point in time, but now adding another one to the list here. Um, and that is going to be the Church Mutual Insurance Company. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Church. Church, like a, like a building you go to on a Sunday? Right. Yep. Church Mutual Insurance Company. And I guess they kind of partner with Precision Risk Management. So those two will both be approved crop insurance providers for 2018. I didn't, I'm just like blown away though. I didn't realize there's only 15 providers. Yeah, I think there used to be more and then it's just gotten to be so much paperwork and it's gotten to be such a, you know, kind of a hassle 
that uh, companies have dropped out for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first new one in in a while. Yeah, it says since 2015. Expert. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. Yeah. A little more uh, competition, a little more choice for growers out there. Mm-hmm. I've got just one other piece of news as we head into the markets. We have, of course, been talking about the delays in the American soybean harvest and corn harvest over the past couple of weeks on the podcast. We're also seeing trouble up in Canada. It has been a nightmare of a season. And uh, finally, they're also getting some decent weather this week. They're getting started. However, the quality of that wheat is leaving much to be desired. Uh, Kevin Bender, who is the chair of the Alberta Wheat Commission, told uh, the told Reuters rather that the quality is gone and it's not coming back in the wheat. Now they're just hoping to get it out of the field. So that's the wheat update mm. from up there in Canada. Everybody is struggling this year. It sounds like. Mike, did that wheat news have any impact on the wheat markets for today? Great question, Delaney, and let's jump in there and take a look. And listeners, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can put a marketing plan in place that's going to work for you regardless of how harvest rolls on for you. Give our friends a shout. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can find them on the web at zaner.com. And we've got mixed trade in the grains today. In the corn market, the December contract was up three quarters of a cent at 370 and a quarter, with the March also higher by three quarters at 382 and a half. Soybeans slightly lower on the day, with November down a penny at 857 and a half, and the January down one and a half to close at 871 even. Chicago wheat December contract up a penny, finished at 509 even, with the March up five, excuse me, one and three quarters to close the day at 529 and a quarter. Looking over on the livestock side, we've got weakness in the cattle complex with the October live cattle contract down two and a half cents at 112.7750. The December down 92 and a half. Finished the day at 117.15. In feeder cattle, the October contract was off 57.5 cents at 155.0750. The November down $1.05 at 155.87 and a half. And strength in lean hogs, the December contract up $1.35, closed at 54.52 and a half. The February up $1.12 and a half to finish at 61.42 and a half. Quick look over at the dairy industry. In class three milk, the October contract was down four cents on the day at 15.49 with the November down 32 to close at 1510. Well, folks, for our hashtag Tech Tuesday episode, we'll be talking to a researcher at Iowa State about using technology to identify sickness in hog herds. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we're going to be talking about technology in the livestock industry that's being developed by Iowa State University. We've got Dr. Joshua Peschel, who is an assistant professor of agricultural and biosystems engineering for Iowa State. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's good to be with you today. So let's start here. The reason that I kind of ran across you was the research and stuff you've been working on for the Iowa Pork Producers Association when it comes to visual sensing and behavioral sensing for the pork industry. Can you walk us through some of the research that you've done in this field in particular? Absolutely. We're really excited to be doing this new and cutting-edge research using uh, computer vision and machine learning to observe livestock animals in their natural operational habitat and look for things like behavioral anomalies or sicknesses, different things like that. What we're trying to really do is use technology that you would have on your own smartphone, 
cameras and just some simple algorithms that we can put behind that to understand when a pig might be getting sick before it knows it's getting sick. And we think that it has huge impacts because if you look at some of the standard diseases, uh, porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, PRRS, if you look at that across the United States and the U.S. swine industry, you're looking at about a cost of $650 million per year and in, 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 loss, in economic losses. And so understanding when an illness might be emerging through behavior or some type of signal that you would only see if you were a caretaker in those facilities, um, the computers can automatically monitor that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And when things like that pop up, the computer would see it and then actually alert a caregiver to, uh, to know that that might be emerging. And what it allows us to do is pull those animals out, treat them with antibiotics, uh, and, and just get to the uh, clinical or veterinary course of action uh, to prevent some of those losses. And we think if we can just reduce that, even by a small fraction, that's very substantial for producers across the United States. Absolutely. Now, Josh, when you think about the the technology that's required to do this, you mentioned cameras and algorithms. My question is, not being a tech guy, how the heck does a computer know that a pig is standing or lying down? <laughs> that's a great question. So there's a couple of different ways to do it. Uh, you could go out and record a bunch of video and have instances where pigs are standing up, pigs are laying down, pigs are doing certain things. But I think what you would find and really what happened up until the point of where we started uh, working on this type of thing, my, my students and I, is that you would, you would record a significant amount of information to get maybe a little bit. Now, there is a way to do it outside of that, whereas to say you could write a bunch of mathematical equations to define what an animal might be doing. It's often easier to use some examples like a video, like a person might look at it. But what we've mm -hmm. done in my research group is actually leverage those magical tools from Disney and Pixar uh, that are just out there for everyone that allow you to create 3D animations very quickly to create movies of those animals that, not kidding, look very realistic. And it turns out you can actually teach the computer in a very short period of time what to look for in those behaviors, the ups and the downs, turn around, apply it to actual video or apply it in real time, and the computer doesn't know the difference. So that's huh. how we do it. Huh. Interesting. So, Josh, I've got to ask, then, what's the benefit of using a camera system like this? I mean, as opposed to me physically walking through my barn or my facility to check the pigs in person? That's a great question. So the biggest issue is, is your time and your ability to watch any one animal continuously 24 hours a day. Uh, pigs are prey animals, and they tend to hide the visual signs of illnesses. Um, from, from human observers, so I think that's a problem. So there's an issue of you being able to actually watch 24 hours a day and the fact that they might hide it from you, that the cameras that can be there all the time, if the computer knows what it's looking for, then it gives you a real advantage. Now imagine if it's not just your barn, imagine if it's 10,000 animals. You just can't practically do it. There's not enough time in the day, and you wouldn't be able to dedicate that kind of attention to it. So in terms of an assistive technology, um, we think that this is going to function much like, you know, what your, your uh, Google or Apple Maps will or some type of alert mechanism, like a Facebook notification yeah. or a text message to let, to let you know where you should go, 
put those eyes that you have so limited time to, to do stuff with. Okay. So now I am still kind of hung up on how the computer is able <laughs> to do all of this. So you've, you've written your, your pig story movie. So we've, the computer now knows which pigs are standing, which pigs are sitting or, or, or laying down. How does the computer, how is it able to identify, let's say pig A is laying down at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, by three o'clock in the afternoon, pig A is up and running around. Is the computer in a sense marking every animal in the barn so it can track their movements? Absolutely. So in real time, we're able to identify individual pigs. And the beauty of what we're doing is because we have cameras and because we can see them all the time, we don't have to put hardware. So the, the, the movement and the industry to what I sort of affectionately call the Internet of Pigs, um, <laughs> we don't have to put tags. Uh, we don't have to put numbers, anything like that. So we're able to track and we're able to see what each one is doing individually. Now you ask, how does it know to pick up that sign of illness? Now, the way to think about it is we look at about 14 different behavioral characteristics. Now, any one of those might not necessarily be an indicator, but let's say it's uh, an individual animal in a certain period of time uh, has isolated itself or it's laid down in a certain you know, number of times, um, and it's those sort of strange anomalies that it's doing things that, let's say, the other animals aren't doing or it itself wouldn't normally do. The combination of that across those 14 different behavioral parameters and then also sort of health-related things. So uh, are they not eating? Do they go to the, to the water but not drink? Different things like that. So all that in combination allows us to identify an alert for the potential for that particular animal to get sick. A key part of it is really isolating all the animals individually and then looking at those you know, behavioral sequences sort of as the next key part to make sense of of what we're actually seeing. And if you were the caretaker and could dedicate that time 24 hours a day, you would likely pick up on this. Um, but the computer does it automatically for you. So Josh, you've developed the kind of the backend stuff. It sounds like, have you been able to test this software on a hog operation or any sort of hog facility? So that's actually what we're doing now. So our project okay. with IPPA allows us to go out and implement the technology. We have been looking at this technology in the context of uh, beef cattle, so we are recording that data. Um, I think the big thing for us now moving forward is to make that uh, technology really easy to use on the caregiver side, and I think that's where we're focusing a lot of our efforts now as we're, we're collecting the video, we're making sure that the accuracy is where it needs to be, and it, and it is so far, uh, but actually being able to put that technology in the hands of caregivers in a way that it, it just works for them, uh, that's what we're really focused on right now uh, because the user experience is very important. You can, you can end up with terabytes and terabytes of information yeah. in yeah. doing all that we're doing, but what you really need is all of that distilled down to a simple text message or an alert on your phone that, that takes you to uh, a view of an individual camera on an individual animal in a particular barn and pen, um, and to be able to hit a button and look at the history of why that alert happened, just like being able to scrub backwards in a YouTube video. You can think about it like that. But you can see those behavioral differences. And when that started happening, maybe it started happening at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, but because of the cameras, and then I should have mentioned that these are actually color night vision camera in 4K that we use. So we don't have to really worry about 
night or day or in different environmental conditions. And that's kind of one of the things that we're doing that is, I think, unique and different. Uh, we don't we don't have to stop for anything, weather, anything like that. So, Josh, in order to make sure the computer can see all the pigs constantly, I imagine the cameras must have to have you know, a line of sight to every hog. How many cameras does that mean in a barn to to adequately cover the area? That's a good question. So right now we look at having a minimum of two cameras. In a perfect oh. world, you could put you could put let's say like I suppose you could put as many as you want to. In certain cases, we've tried out instances of of eight and sixteen, but it turns out there's a lot of redundancy in that. I can tell you in our cattle experiments, we actually have just one going on each pen, and at a cost of you know like twenty dollars a camera. Huh. Uh, that's that's pretty reasonable. And so uh, and actually, as a matter of fact, in the beef cattle case, we're actually monitoring two pins with one ca- camera. So the cost is even less. And those are today's prices. Um, you know, this ca- color night vision technology has only just come out and we've actually seen it recently released um, kind of in the software of the Google Pixel 3. So I've long argued that within three years or so, this same technology we're using is going to be on everyone's smartphones, and turns out it actually is going to be now. So being able to see in the dark is is, um, sort of one of the tricks that we're able to do. So I know you mentioned you've got it going on now with the cattle operations, not yet for hog operations, but is there a point where this type of software, this setup, either does make sense or doesn't make sense from a numbers perspective? Uh, just to clarify, do you mean on in the return on investment for producers? Yeah, or just, you know, if I have a 10 herd operation, does it make sense for me to use software like this? Or if I have a 5,000 head operation, am I going to get some sort of rate of return that makes sense for me to invest in technology like this? I think that it, the nice thing about this technology is that it well scales. And so if you have a small operation, it's very affordable. I mean, we're talking about a few hundred dollars. I think if it would probably be to your advantage if you were in a much larger operation. Um, but on a per pen basis, one of the things that we try to do is keep the costs very low to you know, a few hundred dollars, and if that. So I think uh, to your question on whether or not it's advantageous for a small pen, I guess it just depends on what you're wanting to invest on a, on a per animal basis. Right. Um, and, and where you would fit if you're focused only on um, a nursery or finish, grow finish or some part of that. Uh, it really just depends on the, on the type of operation we do. At the very least, what I can tell you is that the people who have been experimenting with this technology, they really like to just be able to see their animals from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's what it allows them to do. Yeah. Wow. This is really fascinating stuff. And Josh, you know, we think about precision agriculture. And of course, up until now, it's predominantly been on the row crop side. Why do you think it's taken this long to bring this kind of machine learning and precision technology to animal agriculture? Did we just not have the technology up until here recently? Well, I kind of think it falls in that category of it's it's not really a miracle. We just decided to do it. And so it it. There has been an investment over probably the last five years um, at the federal level, certainly at the state level, of wanting to advance precision agriculture for row crops. And a lot of that has been driven by biofuel production. And I actually got into this entire business of using visual sensing because I started on on row crops with energy sorghum and also corn. Mm-hmm. 
And it was very clear that a lot of the technologies that we were developing for um, field-based phenotyping with robots could actually be transitioned to livestock. And there was really just the awareness and opportunity that came up about a year or so ago. And when we started talking with producers associations and different uh, agencies, um, kind of the light bulb went on and they said, you know, why haven't we been doing all this all along? And it was really just having done the right things and been at the right place here at Iowa State at the right time for the technology to be able to be deployed. I think cost is a, is a big deal too. And we see that over time. We used to talk about robots and things like that in terms of, you know, increments of $50,000 and that's just not going to work more or less for anybody. And now the costs on those are down in the few hundreds. And, and we think that the, the, the technology is only just going to continue to get better and cheaper. And so the price points have come down and that's why I think right now is the, is the right time. And, and uh, some of it again is just, sort of the awareness that we could do it or we just decided to do it and and put the resources into actually doing it. Josh, I have kind of just one final wrap-up question for you. When you look at this technology and when it's going to hit the market, do you have a timeline? I know you're still kind of in the early stages of researching, but is there a timeline when producers should expect to see technology like this hit the market? Well, I think there's two ways to look at it. I think there are the early adopters who are probably Mm going to want to have this within the next year. I think that in a more general sense, I would look at about three years, sort of on a, okay. on a nationwide basis. But we already have uh, producers in Iowa who are aware of this technology and want it as soon as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Josh, thank you so much for filling us in on some of the research you're doing there at Iowa State. Really neat stuff. It's good to be with you. Well, again, a big thank you to Josh Peschel. Interesting stuff that they're working on there, Mike, not only in hog herds, but also in cattle herds, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, an interesting thing is, you know, the idea that chickens are going to be the hardest. Mm -hmm. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that'll be good news. It'll certainly make for a a little bit later work on the farm and hopefully ameliorating some of these diseases and catching them sooner. That's just going to do a world of good for animal welfare and for um, animal husbandry. And not only that, but helping to cut down on maybe having labor issues. I mean, right. you know, this saves time and labor, I think, to some extent. So, You betcha. Well, tomorrow we're going to be back with uh, more conversations from around the world from the Global Farmer Network. But in the meantime, Delaney, if folks want to get in touch with us or if they want to see what we've been up to, where should they go to check it out? Absolutely, Mike. They could head to Facebook or Twitter. By searching for at Ag News Daily, they can also head to our current website, but that's soon going to be changing, and we'll let you know what that is later this week. But our current website is still www.agnewsdaily.com. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>